All right, we're going to continue right in the middle of a campaign called For Such a Time as This. We've, uh, we've held uh, these campaigns before. This is our fourth one. But what I really love about this church is that uh, in the first two, we had to pull out all the stops and put on all kinds of banquets and do all kinds of things. Cost us a lot of money and everything else to get some money. And, uh, and the last campaign that we're just finishing now was the first time we, uh, we did nothing like that. We simply did it on, this, on the weekend services, and it was just remarkable how, uh, how this church responded so that we could do the things that we're doing now, uh, not only in terms of this building and the ministries in this building, but in the ministries that we're doing uh, all over the place. And uh, uh, that speaks to what God has done in your hearts. Just big time. And so we're in our fourth in a row, and they, each one of these goes three, three and a half years, and uh, this one is no exception. We'll get to that just a little bit. But uh, so we're going to talk about for such a time as this, part two, and, we, and, and I said last week we're going to talk about and focus a little bit more on ministering, because I said, uh, I began by saying uh, that the evidence that the birth pang signs of the end of the age and the times of trouble is indisputable. It's coming, and it's coming quickly. Next, we thank God in the, in the same way that he had given Joseph and the Egyptians wisdom, and he did, right? Provisions and gifted people to take care of, uh, uh, to, to prepare for the seven years of famine that were coming. And I, and I indicated and I showed how in the same way God had done the same thing for Southland, and maybe other churches too, but I'm just saying, specifically for Southland, uh, he's given incredible insight and wisdom in some areas. He's given incredible provisions and uh, unbelievable gifted people like yourselves to make it happen and to prepare for such a time as this. And then I concluded that it was going to take three things to prepare our families for what is sure to come. Much praying, much ministering, and much giving. And uh, I said that I was going to focus a little bit more on the ministering one this uh, uh, this weekend, and that's what I'm going to do. So before I do that, uh, and uh, I'm going to have to start by laying a little bit of groundwork uh, from the scriptures before we get to the practical outworkings of it, uh, let's bow for a word of prayer and ask the Holy Spirit uh, uh, to speak to our hearts, but let's also tell him that we are going to intentionally engage in what he has to say to us this morning, his word for us this morning. Amen. Lord, we want to thank you uh, because uh, as, as we were singing and worshiping you, and we want to thank you as we looked at last weekend, as we talked about it last weekend, how much you have done here, how you've provided so much insight and wisdom and understanding and strategies and tools and all the rest of it. It is uncanny, and we recognize that it's come from your hand. Not only that, but the provisions that have come in to do the various things you've asked us are just absolutely astounding and remarkable. And then the gifted people that we need at every stage, every step, when you ask us to do something, we say yes before we even know who's going to do it, before we even have the right people in place. We're already saying yes, we, we're ready to follow, and then you, when we step out by faith to what you have clearly said, you always provide. It's remarkable. Thank you for the opportunity to engage and partner with you in this small way in what you are doing on this planet as this age is coming to an end. Thank you for the promise of a great harvest that's coming. Thank you that we get to be part of this. And thank you for this church and what a blessing it is. God, by your Spirit, we say to you this morning, we're going to engage in what you have to say to us. And we're going to respond in kind in Jesus' name, and everybody agreed by saying, Amen. I'm going to lay just a wee bit of groundwork, as I said. And the first place I'm going to start with is talking about the fullness of Christ as we talk about this topic about ministering much in these last days. Who is the fullness of God? Well, it's Jesus. Colossians 2, uh, 2 verse 9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And that's important. That's why he could impact the world he did, the way he did. Because he was the fullness of the deity. 
He ministered to the needs of humanity in a holistic, five-dimensional way. As an apostle, in Hebrews 3.1, it says, Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. And uh, he's, the, you know, he's the founder and initiator, and he launched the church. As prophet, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet the one that Moses spoke of, who is to come into the world. Uh, he was a great evangelist. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, this is Jesus speaking, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. And that's the Greek word for evangelize or evangelist. John 10 tells us he's the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Another word for shepherd is pastor, by the way, same Greek word. And finally, we see him acting in a fifth dimension as the great teacher. In Mark 5, it says, while Jesus was still speaking, they said, why bother the teacher any longer? But Paul says something that's, uh, something else is now the fullness of God. This is very interesting. Not only is Jesus uh, the fullness of, of uh, God, but he says something else is. The church is now to... He says in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the what? To the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. There it is. The church is now to be the fullness of God and of Christ who fills all in all. Jesus was that, acting in a five-dimensional way and ministering in a five-dimensional way. And he says, now that he has ascended... The church is supposed to be the fullness of God in this five-dimensional way. It shouldn't surprise us then that when Jesus would, that Jesus would have his body, the church function the same way he did. How could it be otherwise? And that's precisely what we see in Ephesians 4, verse 10 to 13. It says, He who descended, that's Jesus, is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the what? Apostles, the what? Prophets, the, the sh- and to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, and then look at this, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There it is again. So he gives the body as a whole this five-dimensional way to minister, and the result is that the church becomes the fullness of Christ in the world. Isn't that incredible? The grammatical subject of the sentence, if you're interested in grammar at all, is Jesus, and the verb is gave. Jesus gave something. The object of the verb, there's five objects in this case. They are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and these five objects are gifts granted to the church by Jesus are controlled by one verb, and the verb is gave. This is very significant. In order to be grammatically consistent, if you remove one of these gifts, saying it no longer applies to today, you would have to remove all five. Because they're all governed by the same verb. So you can't just pick and choose. I can't, you can't. They, the apest, uh, the fivefold, those five that I named, but I just, uh, the ac- I just use the acronym apest. It's a little easier that way. Are either all here today or they're all not here today. The scripture nowhere says they're not here today. And who would argue uh, that, uh, that there are no shepherds or teachers today, no pastors or teachers today? We know that. They, you can't break them apart. They all five stand and fall together. And if that's the case, neither can, uh, uh, you know, because we know that there are teachers and pastors or shepherds today, then we know, uh, if that's the case, neither can, uh, can we say that there are no prophets and apostles in the church today. They're still in existence. All five today and all... Uh, all five exist today, and all five together bring about the fullness of Christ in the church. How could we possibly reflect a complete, comprehensive, and holistic ministry of Christ in the world by means of a twofold ministry, that is, shepherd and teacher, or pastor and teacher, when Jesus had five? 
And how could the church possibly do more than Jesus did as he promised? Remember, he said, you will do greater th things than these while operating in only two or three of the five. The fivefold ministry of the church is the ascension ministry of Christ as he now works through his body. The church, operating in the fivefold dimension, extends the original ministry of Jesus. And so the church becomes the fullness of Christ in the world. Is that amazing? Well, that, now let's, uh, we're still laying a little bit of groundwork, and then we're going to see some, uh, uh, the further we get along in the message, we're going to see some of the practical outworkings of that. So first of all, we see that, uh, that the, uh, uh, who the fullness of Christ is supposed to be is supposed to be the church in a five-dimensional way. Second, the five-fold dimension, the apest, is, is seen in general human experience. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 to 9 says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. We see Jesus liberating people who were by creation naturally, apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic type, shepherding type people, teaching type people in society. And he, we see Jesus liberating these people from the dominion of Satan and giving these now liberated captives to the church as gifts for the very purpose of enabling the church to become and to be an effective community in the church. It's amazing. In other words, Jesus redeems what is already present in the world. It's not like he gives these gifts to the church and there is no such a thing in society anywhere. They've never heard of these, kind of, uh, these gifts. Maybe they haven't heard some of these names, but you'll see their functions in society in just a second. In this light, we can see how society in general can be interpreted through the apest grid, the five-dimensional grid. Apostles, for example, or let's say apostolic-type people, are those who are sent to pioneer something new. A teacher could be called in to turn uh, failing schools around somewhere, and we've seen movies like that, right? True stories. Those who start movements of sorts. People who start entrepreneurial business ventures. Can we see non-Christian people who fit this category, yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. Prof prophetic type people uh, tend to be visionaries in a different sense. That is, they often have a keen interest in issues of justice and environmental responsibility and those kinds of things. You know what? Uh, 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 do we have those kinds of people that care about those social justice issues in our world today? Sure, even outside the church, they're there. And when they are redeemed and when they come into the church, they're no different. You know, uh, who's a good example of that is Grace Fast. I remember years ago, she'd be coming to me and she'd say, I think we've got to start something for single moms. And we've got to, you know, I, I'm so burdened about, these, about the orphans and all these thousands of foster kids in the, in the system here in Manitoba. And she would, as she was praying, she, this really burdened her. But you have them on both sides of the coin, both in society and in the church. Evangelistic type people are particularly gifted at enthusing others about what they stand for, selling the significance of their work, company or product, people who sell things. They, 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 they enthuse you about that car or that house you bought or that thing you bought, don't they? I mean, you get excited about it. You say, shoot, I really need this. I think we're going to do this. And if, and, and, and if they said to you, those kind of people can, can tell you that you should take a two-week vacation to the Arctic Circle. And you get excited about it. <laughs> Isn't it true? They, they, got, they get you feel, feeling good about the whole thing. And we see it in both sides. At Donovan, you see him on the other side, doing it for, for Jesus, you know, getting somebody enthused about, about uh, Jesus, right? Or shepherds, those with special concern for seeing and affirming what is human within structures. They may not be good at putting together a policy for addr addressing drug abuse, for example, but if they aren't part of the deliver, delivering the policy, the addicts are in trouble. You need those people who really deeply care and know how to do it, that part well. Isn't that true? But we don't just see it in the church. We also see it 
on the other side, but Jesus redeems those gifts when he brings people in the church, and the church can do it so much better because he redeems it. And he anoints it and fills it by his spirit. Teachers are those who are effective trainers and inspirers of learning. They're philosophers, thinkers, people who understand ideas and how, do they, how they shape human life. Do such non-Christians exist? Well, that's a no-brainer. Of course they do. Looking at it like this, we can see how powerful these roles really are when they're redeemed by the ascended Christ. And in this way, the church is to model the way forward for the culture. That's exciting. Well, uh, not only do we see it in general experience, but everyone in the church is to operate in the fivefold. This will surprise many of you. Everyone in the church has the ability to operate in the five-dimensional way. Now, you'll, see, you'll hear the caveats as we go, but, but just hang in there with me because the most common way that this five-dimension or five-fold ministry or APEST, as, as the acronym says, has been read is to identify it as the leadership of the church. So then a few are gifted and do most, almost all the ministry while the people are there to receive ministry. So... Chris has an example, is a big T teacher, and you just sit there and suck it in. <laughs> and uh, Tim is the great shepherd, and you just take all his shepherding. You just take it all in. That's how it's been viewed by many. But that's, not, that's an old, tired paradigm that falls woefully short of what Scripture says and woefully short of Christ's vision for the church. Christ's vision includes everyone. Turn to someone next to you and say, Christ's vision includes everybody, even you. Take a look at it in Scripture. Paul moves in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. He says, I, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given, given who? Me, that's, be, that's Paul, through the working of his power. Then one chapter later, same verse, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul was saying, yes, I receive grace and gifting from God, but I'm not the only one, you too. You too. That's exciting. We'll see why this is so important in just a minute. To top it all off, Paul framed his entire APES discussion with the phrase, each one in verse 7 and then again in verse 16. He frames it. He starts it that way, talks about all these five, and then he ends it with that same thing again. That's the emphasis, each one, not just Paul and not just an elite few. I know that in some churches, they have elitists. These are the great ones. The rest are just sheep, taking it all in. And, uh, but that's not true. And we know that this is true from experience. For example, uh, you see the diagram coming up there, that triangle that I made. And uh, you see teacher, leader, kind of person right at the top there that maybe teaches the church. And then you've got ministers. They teach uh, ministry groups. And then you have the saints, and they teach their children. Though everyone isn't a high T teacher, like a, let's say a Chris, for example. We all recognize his teaching ability. True? And then we know that there's others who teach. We've got, we've got hundreds of other people who are teaching in various ministries. They also have a high level of gifting. But did you know that everybody has the ability to teach? Did you know that? You all have the ability to teach your kids. If that weren't, weren't the case, the scripture couldn't say that you're supposed to be diligent in teaching, teaching your children. Isn't it true? So to an extent, everybody can teach. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. say yes. Ah, I, I knew you agreed. And this is also true of all five of these gifts. How about prophecy? Well, we know, we, we recognize that grace has a very high level of prophetic, but does, not, does it mean that nobody else can hear Jesus? No, many others can hear Jesus too. In fact, 
How many of you can hear Jesus here? <laughs> Raise your hand. Well, look at that. Everybody can. That's what you're saying. You just testified to that. Everybody can work at, uh, at a certain level, even children, or should I say especially children, as we're going to see in a few minutes. The level at which these gifts are expressed in all saints compared to ministers or leaders is different only by a matter of degree and capacity. Donovan, we write, many people recognize he has a high ability to sell Jesus to somebody. And I, I use that word, but you know what I mean. You want Jesus after you talk to Donovan. Isn't that the truth? But did you know everybody can do it to a certain level? We can evangelize our kids and extended family and, and family members and co-workers and all that. Not just Donovan. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So all saints have the ability to teach to a certain degree. All saints have the ability to shepherd to a certain degree. All saints ha can evangelize. All saints can prophesy to a certain degree. All saints have the ability to create, initiate, and lead to a certain degree. You're far more than what they've said you are. Which means you can do far more. As a body, we can do far more than if only a few people can do it. Would you agree with that? Yeah. That is, that's, that's, it's really, really important. This has huge implications. So, for example, uh, here comes another triangle. No, I think it's the next one already. Yep, that's the one. Uh, so, for example, back to the top, a, an apest leader, you know, whether it's an apostolic, a prophetic, a teacher, evangelist, whatever. TV and stadium preachers, healers, evangelists, and prophets only minister to people at the apest level, at that level. They're very, some of those are very, very gifted people. Would you agree with that, yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. And do they get some fruit, yes or no? Sure, I got saved in one of those kind of meetings. And I thank the Lord for George Brunk, who came and brought that message. No question. Parachurch ministries, they function at the apex or that top level, and also at you know, that leader level, but also at the minister's level. They will often go and get marketplace leaders and people like that, and they'll bring, they'll, they'll bring them into their fold, and they'll train them how to do certain things. And so they, not only is it one leader, but now they've trained a few others, and they can do more ministry, and so they get more fruit. Would you agree with that? But I want you to look at the third level. <laughs> That's the saints. The church can function at all three levels because you have people that are at the highest level in there, you have people at the mid-level, uh, and you have the saints who can all work at those, uh, in those areas. And therefore, the church has the ability to have the most fruit. No wonder Jesus designed it the way he did. Amen? Isn't it a brilliant, brilliant plan he had? <clears throat> When all saints are mobilized, we can accomplish so much more. Let me give you an example through, from an email I got this week. Joel Nederwin sent me an email immediately the next day after I'd spoken, and he said, Ray, I love, he said, Pastor Ray, I love it when you get so excited. You know, the, we get eleven to 1,200 people to our prayer summits, and now you're excited because one year later, after working in church renewal, we've got about double that number because of all the people that are praying in those other churches now as well. He said, and then he wrote this, he said, but you only see what you see on the inside of these churches. You don't see what's going on on the outside of these churches. So I read on. And this is what he said. He said, eight months ago, the company that, I work, uh, that he works for started a prayer event the first Tuesday of every month to pray for their business and the community. And the company prayer event is represented by Southland and four other churches. Now, is that exciting? I think that's exciting. This past January, just two months ago, a few Southlanders started a second monthly prayer event. This was a family prayer event, he wrote, which now represents <clears throat> Southland and four Grunthold churches. And then he said this. He said, it's easy, and now I'm going to quote. Everything else I'm going to read now is a quote right out of his email. We have been praying the very same way that you have been teaching us to pray at prayer summits with thanksgiving, confession, new prayer requests, and for others, and I can't even begin to tell you 
how the power of God has been moving in these two prayer meetings um, and, and these two areas of our lives. God has already faithfully answered, and then in capital letters, massive prayer requests that could have only happened supernaturally. Exclamation. And then he continues, and you'll like this. Hey, and even guess where these prayer summits have been happening. In capital letters, he writes, Brunthal. <laughs> and then he goes, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and in brackets, he said, your message <laughs> yesterday. Uh, I love that. Isn't it great this whole region loves each other? Isn't it great? All these different communities and towns, we're on the same page, going in the same direction, on the same team, and I love it. And, and look at what's happening when everybody can play the game, when everybody gets to play in the sandbox. Amen? How much more gets done than when one person or a little handful of elite people can do it. I really like that. I like that about God. And when children join in, the fruit and impact is even greater. Remember that incredible testimony last week of the 9 and 11-year-olds, Margarita and Abigail uh, uh, Duick? Uh, Incredible. Well, we're going to watch another moving testimony right now. I was hired to work at Southland as the kitchen coordinator in September 2012 and look forward to a new challenge in an area of passion for me. We were also anticipating 2013 as a significant year of celebrating a new job, 20 years of marriage, and 10 years of being cancer-free. On August 22nd, however, on the way to the States for a short family vacation, an elderly couple failed to yield and we T-boned them at highway speed. Brad's first reaction was to make sure everyone was okay. We were all alive and there was no blood, but I looked down and couldn't move my leg, which was at a bad angle off to the side. I remember my mom screaming, and there was tons of dust. I think there was a white thing in front of me, the airbag. And I remember seeing the car pretty much small pieces. At the time of the accident, I was sleeping, and I woke up and I was terribly afraid, so I called up to Jesus' name, and I remember the paramedics coming to get us out of the vehicle and into the ambulance. Pam was feeling panicked about being trapped, and when Graham prayed, something shifted in her leg, and there was a moment of pain, and then her leg was released. It was a very fast accident, but I immediately felt that God was with us. The first person in the scene was an off-duty paramedic, and the second was the fire chief of Atelier. This taught me to have trust in him and not just, it's not all me, and I'm not controlling my whole life that anything could happen. I learned that God talks to me. While we were waiting for a second ambulance in the fire department, Peyton and I were waiting in one ambulance, and she was anxious and worried about Pam. When the paramedic stepped away, Peyton told me she had been praying and that Jesus had told her that her mom would be okay, and immediately she was able to calm down. This was a very significant moment for Peyton. This was one of the first times that she was certain Jesus had talked to her. While I was waiting to be seen in the hospital in Altona, I asked Jesus where he was when the accident happened, and I got a picture of him standing between the vehicles, holding them from hitting harder. This is significant because the paramedics told us that usually in an accident of this magnitude, the victims don't leave in ambulances. I hyperextended my knee in the accident and tore all the ligaments and had surgery on September 10th, and I've been in rehab since. After the accident, I was confined to a chair or bed for two months, but through it all, we have been so grateful for the immense support we received from our church family. They took care of our every need, And they were obviously listening to God for ideas because we received everything from meals to pedicures. Friends took the kids back to school shopping, filled our gas tank, bought us a parking pass to HSC and harvested our garden for us. Not to mention the amazing ways that volunteers stepped up and took care of the kitchen at church. Um, After the accident, I was extremely afraid to get back into the car again because I didn't want to, well, I had fears that I would get into another accident. Um, So I had personal ministry done at the church 
and it helped me right away as I felt relieved and got back in the car and haven't felt sense. God is with us. He was with us as we listened and heard his life-giving words. He was with us by providing fast care, and he was with the other couple, keeping them from injury. But he was also with us through our friends and family at Southland. That's an incredible testimony of, of uh, so many people getting involved in it. But, you know, uh, what really caught my attention again was the, the impact of the children's ministries and our youth ministries, Salem ministries, on families and on the children. I mean, uh, back to that, you know, that diagram, you have top-notch uh, children ministry, youth ministry, Selah, teacher leaders and ministers like... Link Wallace and Donovan Friesen, LaDon Dirksen and Monique uh, DeSorcy and Brock Peters, Victoria Lepp, Tom Dick, Amy Unger, Dan uh, Hungerford, Brad Elias, Vanessa Woolman, Caitlin Duick, uh, Tanya Workington, Corinna uh, Ricky, and then you have 600, more than 600 volunteer ministers training the children in hearing from God and praying to God. Is that amazing? If you are one of those workers in Selah, youth men or children's men, uh, at whatever level it, that you are working there, we want you to get up right now. We would like to recognize you and thank you for the work you're doing. All right? Just stand all over the place. That is amazing. Thank you. Wow. That's incredible. Thank you so much. We had many, 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 many uh, standing in the previous uh, service as well. Uh, then you have all their parents doing the bulk of the work at home, but somebody has to be training kids. Somebody has to be training the adults and the youth and so on and so forth. And what do you get when everybody's doing it? All the saints ministering from old to young. I mean, that's, a, that, that, that's just an incredible testimony. Young kids again hearing from God in the middle of a crisis. You could see how impacting it was to them emotionally. And that's when you get the most fruit, when everyone is ministering. Though all can minister, minister at a basic level, many have a greater measure of grace or ability than average in one of the five, allowing them to specialize in that gift and to minister with that gift to a larger sphere of people. And you see that on the diagram there as an example. And uh, Ephesians 4, 7 says, To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And from those ministers, there may be a few who, call, who God calls gifts and tests for character in order to take leadership roles in that particular specialty. Such will oversee others, selecting, training, empowering, guiding, directing, and so on. And you see that in the diagram again. All right, now let's just talk for a few moments about the relationship between the fivefold and the other uh, New Testament uh, spiritual gifts. Because then some of you are saying, well, if that is true, where does that leave the other gifts? Because we know there's many other gifts that can be used, probably even more than the ones listed in Scripture. The list of five gifts seen in Ephesians are what we would call the primary gifts. They touch on the idea of calling. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul said, I therefore, a prisoner uh, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So where does this leave the other spiritual gifts of Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, like spiritual languages, interpretation of spiritual languages, or tongues, healing, miracles, administration, and so on and so forth? Functioning in one's primary calling and gifts, the apest, requires drawing from additional capacities to carry out the task in various contexts. And I'm going to illustrate this in just a second. Every assignment is different and presents unique challenges. And because of this, God gives us support gifts to carry out the work he has assigned each person to do. So for example... Uh, someone may have a calling to be a... We'll see this in the natural world first before we take it into the spiritual realm, okay? So-called spiritual realm. Someone has a calling to be a carpenter to build houses. Now, I've never had that calling. And you'll see that in a moment. 
To do this job, he'll need more than one tool, right? He's going to need a hammer. He's going to need a drill. He's going to need pliers. Anything else you can think of? Oh, a saw. Yeah, that's right, a saw. I didn't even have it in here. That's true. But he'll only use them as needed. He doesn't build the whole house just using the saw. Would you agree with that? Okay? He uses different tools. He picks from the tool belt uh, different things. All five apest gifts are used in different contexts. So, for example, let's, uh, I'm going to use uh, Fran for an example because she isn't here. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, she was in the first service. She's, uh, she's also very, very prophetic. She often wakes up in the middle of the night. She has dreams and visions and stuff for me. Uh, God just wakes her up, and sometimes she'll wait, uh, wait up for me to wake up because she has to tell me something that's very appropriate, uh, appropriate for me. And then she shares it with me. But, uh, but there's, uh, so she, uh, she has a very strong gift like that, but in addition to that, uh, she has a, a tool belt that she uses, and uh, wisdom is, is in there. She, she uses that one a lot uh, to keep me on the straight. But uh, uh, let me tell you what happens on Saturdays, typically if I'm speaking the next day. So this happened yesterday again. Either uh, I get a mental block that has nothing to do with the fact that I'm almost 60, and... And literally, I go into gridlock. All at once, I'll go into gridlock, and I literally can't move to the next thought and how I'm supposed to do it. And it happens only on Saturdays before I speak. Does that tell you something? Yeah, yeah well, there's something else that, that often happens. My computer goes into lockdown. So yesterday, for example, never otherwise. Never. I'm serious. But on Saturdays before I speak, then it does. I had to call Marty yesterday. And he, it was his day off to come in because uh, I had a problem. I would press a key, and then it would wait two to three seconds before it would actually do something. And I'd press the next key, and then it would wait two to three seconds. It's pretty hard to get a message done like that. But I know already what the problem is. Sometimes I want to heave the thing. I know what's going on. And, I'm, I, and, and so you know what I do? I, I text Fran, or I phone Fran, and I'll say, Honey, I need, uh, she says, do you need prayer? Because she, she knows this is a regular occurrence. This happens every Saturday before I speak. Uh, would you like me to pray? Yes. <laughs> she texts back and she said, I'm going to be praying in tongues. She always does that when, it gets, when I get into a problem like that. She pulls that tool out for that specific situation and it works. Fifteen minutes later, she's doing warfare in, in her spiritual language. Fifteen minutes later, it only took about a second behind every, every keystroke. And within 30 minutes, I was down to just, it was working normally, and it worked fine the rest of the day, and it worked fine this, early this morning. No problem. And now it'll work fine till the next time I have to speak. But do you see how she pulled it out of the tool, uh, tool belt and used it that way? An apostle is another, generally has strong leadership gifts, however, because he's often pioneer or launching something new, he won't have the people at the start to support him in the work or the ministry he's starting, so he reaches in his toolkit for administrative gifts. I don't have to do a lot of administration around here because I've got lots of people, but if I start something brand new, a brand new ministry like church renewal or something, then generally I have to go and do some of this stuff, right? <clears throat> or an evangelist like Donovan May, draw out of his gifts, uh, gifts of faith or miracles. Jesus did it that way, right? He didn't just go doing miracles day after day, all day long. He didn't do that. He used them selectively. He pulled out the tool, uh, tool at, the, at the appropriate time. <clears throat> Paul seems to be saying that each of us has a vocation, but to live out this calling, we need different tools in different situations. And the, and the Spirit supplies us with those tools to help us get the job done. So, where does that leave gifts of helps and service? You say, well, I've got gifts of helps and service, and I know there's some... In fact, I'm, <laughs> I look at some of you, and I know who you are. I could name some of you who have done amazing work like that. And you say, well, that's my, that's my gift. Well, let me just say three things about it. Just because we have a strong gift of helps does not absolve anyone from using the five gifts to minister to at least their children, spouses, extended family, friends, fellow workers, and so on. Would you agree? We still have to teach our kids. Would you agree with that? 
we, we still have to witness to that co-worker, if the Holy Spirit gives us a chance, we still have the opportunity to initiate something or create something, and uh, we still have the ability to hear God for our situations. True? That's the first thing. Second thing, gifts of helps and service can be used as support gifts, tool belt, to serve the apex gifts. Help your neighbor, uh, for example, helping your neighbor in order to evangelize. Do you, do you see it? And then thirdly, there are some that are just so good at it. We, hi- we hire some of them. And others we, we, we get in here for free. It's amazing. <laughs> Those we love even more. <laughs> <laughs> those who have strong helps and service gifts can free those who are ministering and leading in the fivefold to do even more. So that we can do the work of the word and prayer, as, as the disciples said to, you know, about the widows in Acts chapter 6, okay? Now, uh, now lastly, I want to talk uh, about employing expansionist gifts. The Western churches are predominantly led by, out of those five, <clears throat> shepherds and teachers. And you see it on the diagram. Why is that? <clears throat> well, churches and schools and seminaries believe that particularly apostles and prophets are no longer in existence, and this has driven them from the church. Because the seminaries or the schools are primarily led by teachers, that's what they produce. They don't produce the other four. Now, do we need teachers? Yes, we do. But to have a holistic ministry, the way Jesus did, we need all, help me church, five. So it's a tragedy when we train basically one or two in in one or two dimensions. Because teachers and shepherds typically are not pioneering expansionist, outward-focused, and entrepreneurial in nature. They're not supposed to be. They're supposed to be inward-focused. We need that. Do we need teachers here at Southland, yes or no? Do we have some of the best ones? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I listen to them, too. <laughs> I take notes. They're amazing. And shepherds, do we have good shepherds around here? Oh, yeah, some on staff, some in the, some in the cells and stuff. Incredible. But, that, but if that's all we have, we will never go outside of Southland. We will always be just about ourselves. And Christ called us to go out, and those three other ones are basically expansionist types of gifts. And uh, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists are expansionist in orientation, and there are few of these leading churches or denominations in the West today. That's not true in places like Asia, and Africa, and so there you have the expansionist gifts leading churches and denominations. Little wonder the church in the West hasn't grown, expanded, and salted our society and beyond. Where did these gifts go? Well, many of them, they had to go into parachurch ministry because the church didn't want them, or a marketplace uh, somewhere. And I know of actual cases. I'm talking about names and faces. That is not to say that we don't need expansionist leaders there. It's just to say that we do need them in the organized church. But not only have we lost church leaders with expansionist gifts, this tragic situation has also created a disconnect between many marketplace leaders in the church today. Why is that? Because generally, marketplace leaders have higher levels of gifting in one of the three expansionist gifts than they do in the other two. And that's why many of them don't feel like they belong. So so churches led by shepherds and teachers don't understand them or are intimidated by them, and thus these marketplace leaders are viewed with suspicion and kept at a distance. So many of them have also turned to the parachurch and marketplace and focused their energies there. But at Southland, we're reversing that trend and we're seeing many with expansionist gifts being employed in the harvest through ministries like Tupandani and Church Renewal and Four Winds and Camp. Isn't that true? Is that exciting, church? You know why those ministries are happening? Because we have expansionist-type people in those ministries. That's how they work. That's how they tick. Doesn't mean that the other two don't care about that. Oh, yes, they do. But we all have our niche. We all have our part to play. We all have our measure 
of grace given to us. Amen? We all have a part to play. And when everybody's playing, lots gets done. But those aren't the only ways that expansionist gifts can be employed in those kind of ministries. We have marketplace leaders at Southland who used, used to do a great deal of necessary ministry inside the church walls. I know names and faces again. But as they prayed, Jesus specifically called them to minister outside the walls on behalf of him and his church. And some have been called into local and regional, provincial, and so on, politics and organizations to represent him and us, the church, there. That is legitimate. That's a legitimate ministry calling when it's done to hear what Jesus wants and carry out his agenda. Wouldn't you agree? Hey, church? Yeah, it is. We want to, and by the way, if you're in one of those, we don't want you to feel like you're left out, that you're not part of us. You are part of us. You're part of the, arm, the expansionist arms of us, and we want you to come to the volunteer extravaganza Tuesday night. And if you don't know where you belong, I'll tell you where you belong, with me. You find me, that's where they're going to seat you. And actually, they've actually planned it that way. I saw that. Um, and that's true. So what do you do if you have expansionist-type gifts and just don't know where you fit? I want you to follow the example of in this story of uh, a marketplace leader, uh, Robin Claire Funk. He's a plant manager overseeing many employees here in town. In March 2011, Rob and Claire took a vacation to Santa Lucia, Cuba. Rob had ushered at Southland, get this, for 17 years. That's a lot of ushering, amen? Wow, I love that. That's faithfulness, wouldn't you say? He and Claire began to pray, Lord, if you, want us to if you want me to continue ushering for the rest of my life, that's fine. But we'd really like to do more for you besides just that. And they prayed about this many times, asking the Lord to make it very clear if he had something else for them to do because they only wanted to do God's will. In May of 2012, in prayer... God put it on their hearts to return to the same town, Santa Lucia in Cuba, to, and to bring along Bibles and toys, and they were supposed to look for believers. They were supposed to perfectly look for believers. March of 2013, exactly a year ago, they returned that second time after hearing in 2012, bringing along Bibles, toys, and 100 booklets on how to receive Jesus. Don't you like that? I had no clue they were doing this. No, no clue. <clears throat> They met several believers. One of them was Julio, who rented out scooters at the resort they were staying in. Because he was away, they couldn't meet Julio's pastor. He, he, was, he was gone with his daughter. However, Julio shared that the church has desperately needed study Bibles, Bible study materials, and other literature. In February of this year, last month, they returned a third time, bringing along two laptops full of messages and other a literature and studies. They brought study Bibles, toys, and, again, outreach booklets. This time, they were able to meet Julio's pastor, Pastor Pablo. And they even spoke in the church. And Pastor Pablo shared their, uh, his needs, or his church's needs. They needed, for example, a wagon to pick up the sick and lame for church services. They already had a horse for doing that. And uh, they're praying the government now allows them to use vacant land across from the church to plant crops for the poor in the community. They need a truck or a bus to haul people and equipment to various churches. They need materials to train pastors. They have absolutely nothing. Zero. Communist government has not allowed that. And, um, and get this. This Pastor Pablo that God connected Robin Clare to just happens to oversee 1,200 churches in Cuba. Does this story sound familiar, or does this sound familiar? I'm going, play, repeat, you know, hit, repeat. I couldn't believe it. But there's more to this story. In January 2012, remember in May 2012, they were praying and praying uh, for weeks on end. God, what do you have for us? What do you want us to do? But in January of 2012, backing up a few months... Before God spoke to them in prayer to return to Cuba, Paul Hebert, who's a member of 
of uh, our prophetic teams here. We've got over 40 that Grace has trained and that she oversees. And these, these guys are amazing. They do it over the, are my marketplace leaders, over the staff, over many groups. They prophesied over 500 people this last year. Incredible. And they're amazing. Paul Hebert was prophesying over Claire because the staff was getting prophetic prayer. And um, this is what he prophesied. This is before they, <laughs> they, God told him to go there. Okay? And he saw a picture of, uh, of the Caribbean waters. The coral is clear and beautiful. I'm taking some words right out of the notes that she, like it was written for her. He saw Claire as an orange-striped fish, and he called it the Nemo fish. And he saw Claire swimming from familiar waters on a long journey to waters that were unfamiliar to her, and he knew nothing about any of this stuff. Nothing. Paul continued that this would take her to a place of ministry she had not entered into yet, but she would not have to be afraid because God would protect her. Is that incredible or is that incredible? I mean, uh, when you see what actually happened. There's more. Rob went fishing when he was there, and guess what he caught? <laughs> that is the fish he caught. How many of you got kids and read Nemo to your to kids? Well, you recognize it. That is actually the fish he caught. And remember the picture I shared last week of the family of nations? Pastor Pablo wrote a two-and-a-half-page letter in Spanish to me outlining their challenges. You know what their average salary there is? Only $10 per month. $10 per month. Do they have a need? Huge. Think about, as we sum up, the impact that Southland is having on its own people, including your children and mine. Remember, when you remember that the evangelical church is losing 60% of its youth in Canada today, think about what your kids and grandkids are getting in this church. All glory to Jesus, amen. And amazing people that he's transformed who are all getting into ministry. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. We've had, we have over 1,500 volunteer positions. I don't know how many it is now. That was the last time a few years ago. And look at the impact it's having when you look at those testimonies. That's incredible. Think about the impact we're now having on other churches as we minister to them. Is it worth investing and giving to when you see the impact on your kids and grandkids? Is it worth investing in and giving to when you see the impact it's having on a growing number of churches? I have another pastor joining me this coming week out of Edmonton again in a church of about 1,000 again. Can you believe it? It's incredible. Only Jesus can pull this kind of stuff off by his spirit, only. And think about the impact we're now having on the church in other countries. Is that worth investing in and giving to? I can't think of any place I'd rather invest my praying, my, uh, my ministering and giving more than this church right here. And I'm not saying we're better than any other church. I'm just saying... You're getting value for your investment. Would you agree? And that's because of what Jesus has done. It's a holistic ministry operating in all five. And God has called us to partner with him to reach so much more. I might share a testimony next week. Uh, uh, an email that I got this morning blew me away of what God is saying. He's saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. This is just the beginning, folks. And the time is so short. I'd like to ask the ushers uh, at this time to uh, uh, hand out the pledge forms, as we do for every one of these, um, uh, these campaigns. And it looks something like this. You're going to get one. You can, please take, each take one. And uh, nobody's going to track you or anything like that. This is for uh, yourself. And, and uh, it tells you uh, what it's for. The white copy is for Southland. We're going to bring them back next week. And the yellow one is for yourself. And uh, you don't have to, uh, you, I mean, you can fill out as whatever you want. But notice three categories here. We want these forms because we want to add up how much is being pledged. <laughs> Nobody's going to hold you to anything, okay? Nobody's going to 
say, well, you said you were going to give this much. No, we've never done that in 18 years, and we're not sure not going to start now. And don't believe those rumors out there that say we look at your T4s. One of these times we're going to start doing it if the rumors persist. No, no. <laughs> Please scrub that from the tape. That's going to be online. <laughs> but uh, uh, perhaps you've never been here for one of our campaigns before and you would like to make a pledge. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit what to give. Don't ask us. We're not telling you what to give. Not a chance. Nobody tells me what to give. And we certainly aren't going to tell you. The, here's the second category. Maybe you're, you've been running in these other campaigns. I've been through all three of them, and so have many of you, so, or some of you at least from the earlier days. And you want to say, well, I want to continue the a pledge that I made in this last campaign, and I'm going to roll it over, and I'm going to keep it going. And then uh, maybe you want to do both. Maybe you uh, want to continue what you pledged, and you want to add a new part to it. That's fine. Then uh, mark both. And then maybe you're here and you know what? You've never, you're brand new here. You've never started tithing 10% of your income. And you've just never given before. And you say, well, this is what I'd like to, uh, I'm going to start tithing uh, so much. And uh, we're going to see what God is going to do through this. And we've seen him do such great things in the last nine years or 10 years of these, these campaigns. It's been absolutely thrilling. We hardly ever talk about money except at these campaigns. And God, because of the changed lives, is doing incredible things. So here's what it has accomplished so far. You see the fixed assets. We now have uh, fixed assets, land and building and so forth, of $32.5 million. We've paid off $23.8 million. That's 73% of that since 2003-2004. Can you believe that? That's absolutely unbelievable. And we have left owing eight. Uh, 0.7 million, that's only 27% left. We're on track to pay, just paying our regular payments every month that we pay will be finished in seven years. That's just our regular, what we have to give to the bank every, uh, every week. That's not putting extra in or anything, just our regular payments will be finished in seven years. But we really sense that we need to cut this down to about half that time, the end of fiscal year, July 2017. And here's Four reasons why uh, uh, we believe that. The first one is because it'll save us a quarter of a million dollars interest. That's not bad. To take number two, to take advantage of charitable status before it is lost. And I really believe, church, that we will see the day. Uh, there are uh, there is one or two political parties already discussing this issue, uh, where we'll lose charitable status. You won't be able to claim giving to, uh, to, to the church as a charitable sta- uh, a claim. To protect the viability of Southland in an economic meltdown, and the, something is coming. We're headed for the end of the age in some difficult times. And I want this church, we want this church to be functioning all out when there's huge needs and we can reach, and, and there, people are going to be open to the gospel. I mean really open to the gospel. Wouldn't you agree? We, are, we just want to keep right on humming, no matter what happens. And then number th- four, and this is where it all <laughs> funnels into, to have more monies for expanding our five missions uh, here and around the world, in Canada and around the world. The Lord has revealed that the time is short. The signs point in the same direction. He is giving us time to prepare now for what is coming. Now is the time to pray. Now is the time to minister and serve, and now is the time to give. We get one shot at this. Pray that God would have, uh, pray about what God would have you pledge to give over the next three and a half years. And then Tuesday, this Tuesday night, we want to honor the work that you're doing already. And then next Sunday, we're going to take up the special campaign offering and pledges. And uh, there's also two special surprises waiting for you. So don't forget to bring these forms back with you, filled out. And, uh, and, uh, and then we're going to just have a, a wonderful time together. And if you feel really uh, bad about the name thing there, then just don't put your name in it. 
but come back and bring what you actually intend to do, okay? And uh, we'll see what, what God is going to do over these next three and three and a half years. Lord, thank you for what you have accomplished at Southland in us and through us. Only you could have pulled us off. And we give you all the, all the honor and all the glory for it. Thank you for these wonderful people. And uh, Lord, it's been a blessing to minister together side by side in rebuilding here the ruins of the past. And God, we look forward to partnering with you for so much more you have that you want to accomplish through us. In Jesus' name, and everybody agreed by saying, Amen.